Hello and I hope you're having a great week. It's always great to get feedback from you as the listeners and questions about how you can create a high performance environment within your own sports teams and businesses. I really do want to make this show as practical as I can with packed full of takeaways. So please do send your questions and puzzles through. Really, the more questions, the merrier. Do send them through to hello at sportingedge.com. In this week's micro lesson, I'm going to showcase an email that I got from one of our listeners in the States. I've taken their name and the team name out to keep it anonymous, but it's such a great question that I thought many of our listeners might benefit from considering the question for themselves. So here goes, I'll save you my American accent. Hi Jeremy, I'm a coach of a junior soccer team in the States. The last two times we've played against our rivals, we've lost by four or five goals. The team go into the game fired up and then we usually come out strong and then the first goal scored by the opposition and you can just feel our team deflate and collectively think, oh no, here we go again. They start getting frustrated with themselves and each other and by then we've totally lost the game. How can I get them to believe in themselves and not to have this defeatist mindset? Also, if our rivals do score early, how can I get them to rally back? Well, firstly, thanks for a brilliant question. I can imagine that it's really tough both for the team and yourself to expect to be beaten and then for the nightmare to actually come true on the pitch as well. It's really hard for me to give you concrete advice without knowing a bit more about the people and the context. But here are a few things that you might want to consider that might be relevant and I'll leave you to work out which ideas fits best. The first one is zooming back out to a sort of strategic and philosophical level and it's about reflecting on how you define success for our teams. There are various answers ranging from at one end of a scale. We need to win every game. We need to win the league at any cost and no losers are tolerated here. Through to the other end of the scale, which says we want youngsters to come together in a safe place after the lockdowns and the pandemic where they can learn to be competitive through football be active together and to improve their motivation, social skills and overall well-being and health. This is 100% ruthless on performance at one end and the other sees a much broader range of priorities. Clearly this scale would be interesting to score ourselves on from 0 to 100. Where do we actually sit philosophically on this? If you're 80% about results, then you may be travelling around to scout the best eight and nine-year-olds from nearby districts to get them into the feeder system for your team a few years ahead of when you pick them. You'd play everyone in set positions and you'd develop trust in the system and each other by playing the same shape and formation and style every week. You'd watch other teams, maybe even in disguise, to make notes and bring that back so that you can sharpen the strategy and have specific drills against specific teams. If you're 80% about personal and social development, on the other hand, you'd be more inclusive to different standards of players from the local area. You'd rotate the captain to give everyone a chance to lead and see what that's like. And you'd potentially rotate all the positions so that everyone could have a chance to see if they're good in goal, good at striking or good in defence. This enjoyment and rotation would be part of your philosophy. So these two positions on the scale have a very different definition of success. And as a result, the coach then behaves and organises the team in a very different way. 
the challenges for coaches at a junior levels are that we we actually want both. We want to be nurturing and giving opportunities, but we also want them to perform to a maximum of their ability because after all, that's what it's about. And this is your team. And if they lose, you look bad. This cycle brings a pressure with it and in turn changes our mindset and our behaviour. We become less patient, less tolerant, less positive, and we tend to focus on the areas where the team's going wrong. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's what's happening for you as a coach or in this particular team. It's just an observation of some of the junior sport that I've watched and heard about. So after we've considered that high-level definition of success, we can start to think about the specific question that you asked about how you set yourself up against these all-conquering rivals. It seems like they're pretty good and they've got a history of beating you in recent years. So we need to break down that annual belief that it's a no-win weekend when that fixture comes around. Maybe their cocky strut creates an exciting quest for your team to chase down. Who will be the first green team, if that's the colour of your kit, to beat these all-conquering blues? To wipe that smile off their face. That already feels like a more exciting Uh, no-lose situation where we can try and make history for our local team. So then we can shift our focus away from the result, away from the win, and more into the personal collective improvement that we can make as a continual area of focus. So this is where we're starting to look away from the outcome and into the process at some of these key performance drivers that help us to play at our best. So maybe if we're going to perform at our best, we need to do A, B and C really well. So for example, we might need to have 60% of the possession. We might set the goal of having 10 shots on goal during the match. We might say that we want eight big tackles in their half so that we can win the game back. And it's these key processes that give our team something positive and in their control to focus on rather than worrying about the impending doom of being beaten yet again by the mighty blues. So if we peg our emotions to whether we win or lose, we're going to be up and down like a roller coaster emotionally. And that's not great for the kids. But the alternative is to judge our success based on how much we've improved each week. The key is to start measuring and rewarding people for the things that are in our control, not the result. So maybe there's an award for the best work rate on the pitch or an award for the best tackle. We can also celebrate the people who kept that positive support and spirit for each other after a mistake was made. After all, no one means to miss a tackle or lose the ball. So when we celebrate people showing strong support for each other, that's going to get more of it. And it's going to be so important when we get tested against the best teams like our local rivals. And I think if we're beaten by a brilliant team, that's fair enough. But we don't want to be beaten by falling out with each other when the going gets tough. So all of these elements where we shift the focus allow people to be considering their proactive impact rather than being passive and victims of other teams being better than us. And we should also think about the fun elements of our team. You know, it's great that mistakes are made and people slip over and and funny things happen during training and matches. And that humour can be celebrated as well as the glue that binds the team together through adversity. So as we build our team's focus through the weeks of preparation away from that binary win and loss and more into these characteristics of working hard, improving our personal skills, 
you know, winning the ball back and, and being good team players for each other. They're brilliant foundations and our performance and commitment should start to rise. Our enjoyment and our control should start to elevate. And as we get more confidence and shots on goal by focusing on what's in our control rather than what the opposition might do, we'll actually get more enjoyment and more team spirit building to deliver better performance. And that should hopefully deliver us better results, especially against our local rivals. So the big question comes up when you see that fixture against the mighty blues in the calendar and the countdown begins, the players are going to start to get anxious. But this is the time when you double down on those processes and go back to those building blocks of hard work, improvement and togetherness. So let's get them to think about this rather than avoid it. Let's get the team focusing on their performance rather than worrying about the opposition. If they work hard to keep the ball, they have loads of shots on goal and tackle well and stay together, they're not going to lose 6-0. Then we can start to simulate some of these situations. It's far better to talk about our plans of the how we're going to cope with the emotional turbulence of a match rather than get a shock when it actually happens. And I'll explain why in a moment. So maybe we can ask the team, how will we respond if we score first? The answer should be that you know, let's have a big 10 minutes going back to our brilliant basics and do them even better to keep keep in control of the game. And then we ask a similar question. What happens? How will we respond if they score first? And the answer should be the same. Let's have a massive 10 minutes refocusing, getting back to our brilliant basics and doing them even better. This is a performance focus, not a score or results focus. And it's so important for our kids and all of our teams, actually in sport or business, to learn this. Because sometimes we can't control the outcome, but we absolutely can control our togetherness, our work ethic, our attitude and and our work rate. So this is easier said than done. But if you spend weeks reprogramming the kids' expectations around this focus on their passing accuracy, work rate, shots on goals and togetherness, then it will make things so much easier. Ultimately, the only thing that matters for your team, whether you're winning or losing, is that you focus on the next 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes to control the game to the best of your ability to get the best result you can. And if your team play amazingly well and get beaten 1-0 against these legends instead of the historic pattern of 5 or 6-0, then I think that's amazing progress. The table will still sadly see zero points, but you and the team can take great pride from your efforts and teamwork. And that can only help to build confidence and resilience and more risk-taking and confidence going forward into the next game. Now, the reason I had a wry smile as I offer this advice is because in 2016, I was fortunate to be working with Crystal Palace in the run up to the FA Cup final against Man United. Crystal Palace were clearly the underdogs and we discussed keeping this process and performance focus, whether we were winning or losing with the team and the management. And everyone agreed to this approach. Stay calm, no emotions, do the basics, whether we're winning or losing. So now we get to the match. And it had been a pretty tense and scrappy affair and it was nil-nil still leading into those final few minutes. You can imagine the fans building up to this crescendo of emotion at a packed Wembley Stadium. Well, the Crystal Palace manager, Alan Pardew, brought on a local hero in the closing minutes. And the intention was to clearly break the deadlock. Anyway, on 78 minutes, he burst down the left wing and scored. It was incredible. The noise was unbelievable. And I thought the roof of the stadium was going to come off. 
This was the moment to take a breath. We talked about it, to regroup, to regain control of the ball and take it down to the touchline and keep it out of the way until the trophy presentation was ready to go. So in my mind, in the dugout, I'm thinking, oh my God, we're going to do this. Stick to the plan, nothing flash. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see the gaffer, Alan Pardew, rush into the touchline with his arms in the air in his electric blue suit. And he did what can only be described as a disco dad dance. It became a viral meme of the year. Two minutes later, one matter equalised and then Jesse Lingard scored the winner for United in extra time. Football is absolutely fuelled by emotion, so even the best plans don't always work. But I hope you can take some of these messages for your teenage team in the States and that one day you beat the mighty Blues up the road. I'd love to know when you do. So I hope you've enjoyed this short episode and can see the links back to business. If you're running a sales team, those key drivers might not be tackling and keeping possession, but they might be having brilliant product knowledge having that new business pipeline that's been managed all the time and having brilliant customer service. Every time we think about the outcome of winning or our total sales figure, we get emotional and get distracted. But we've got to focus on those key drivers in our teams that underpin performance so that we can be consistent and keep striving and keep improving. Thanks so much to everyone who's left a five-star review for the show. And to those who've connected on LinkedIn, let's keep the conversation going. It's brilliant to hear your feedback. So please do come across to LinkedIn and and give me a nudge there. And whether you're coaching kids or leading uh, a business, then I really hope that you can focus on these brilliant basics and the results will start to come for you as well. So thanks so much for listening and we'll see you soon.